This is Bethel Online. Welcome home. This is the next best thing to being at Bethel on Sundays. We are driven by making disciples of Jesus who make disciples. When you're online, interact with us on Facebook and Instagram. When you're in Barhead, Alberta, drop in Sundays to Friday. Our goal on this podcast is to ask questions, challenge certainty, and grow a relationship with Jesus so you can go the distance and bring others with you. Thank you for tuning in. All right, so if you have your Bibles and uh, you ha- you're ready to go, I'd like you to, to either put them in your lap or maybe put them on the seat beside you. And I'd like you to take your left arm, please. Everybody find your left arm, all right? Your other left, actually. This, yes, okay. Your left arm, just hold it out like this, and if you take your right hand, first two fingers. Take your first two fingers and put them down on the side of your left arm. And then, can you feel that? All right. So what you're feeling is a purpose. As long as you've got a pulse, God's got a purpose for you. It doesn't matter what age you are, stage you are in your life. It doesn't matter what wage you have, or even if you're in the midst of rage. That God has a purpose for your life. And being here today, I think it's going to help move one step further in discovering that purpose. On the screen, you'll see a picture of uh, Day Camp, uh, VBS from last uh, Sunday. And uh, this was kind of a panorama that I took at the back. It was great uh, being with everyone. And you'll see what I, I put on the top there. Um, and uh, I'm getting used to the clicker. And so we get used to a bit of a delay. And so I think we're going to go, there we go. I sincerely believe this, that God favors churches um, who do what God is blessing. Right? So we want to be able to do not our own ideas, our own thing. We want to do what God is blessing. And I know that God blesses families, and I know that God blesses kids, and I know that God blesses churches that reach out to kids. And so your VBS this week, um, Roar, and uh, what you, uh, when I walked in last Sunday and I saw the halls all decorated and I saw the foyer uh, and everyone getting ready, I went to the training last Sunday afternoon, uh, Prakash did a fantastic job. You know, you have some incredibly devoted teenagers and adults in your church that showed up for training and showed up all week long caring for kids. And, and they did an absolute fantastic job. Um, the, again, the children filling this place uh, with songs and, and uh, learning. And uh, I think they learned something that goes like this. When life is unfair. All right, that is a good truth to know for anybody, anywhere, anytime in their lives. And again, just seeing the images of the children, um, one of the great things is the volunteers. Uh, they were all on the platform at that moment. Uh, well, not all of them, but most of them. And then I got a picture of Elisha at the back running sound. Just the word volunteer, right? So everything runs uh, by people. And when, when people do good things for other people, great things happen. And you have a fantastic group of people here at, at uh, Bethel. And I think the least we could do, one more time, can we just say thanks uh, to uh, Pastor Teresa and to all the volunteers that helped out in DVBS. Can we just give them applause right now? Just say thanks to them. I met with Pastor Teresa last week just to kind of get a lay of the land, just to find out what was going on. You know, last Sunday morning, I said to you that Pastor Teresa is a rock star. I was wrong. Pastor Teresa is a legend. 
Pastor Teresa, when I was in her office this week, I took a picture. She didn't know I took a picture, but this is a picture of a sign that's in her office, and I think this is exactly who she is. Be the kind of women that when your feet hit the floor each morning, the devil says, oh crap, she's up. <laughs> and I hope that's okay in Bethel. Because <laughs> I tell you what, it's, uh, <laughs> it's far better to be doing good and reaching out and doing stuff like Pastor Teresa's doing. And um, just absolutely great. Teresa and Denise Huseman from your office sat down with me and they went over the calendar between today, August 18th, and January 14th, right? So that's like, what, five months? Five months? And um, when we went through that, this is what I discovered you guys do. You have Bible studies, a youth meeting, young adult meetings, nursery, children's church, women's small group, Sunday school, high octane, senior study, alpha, New Believers class, prayer meetings, Shepherd's Care Chapel, the Pumpkin Walk, I'm looking forward to that, Thanksgiving lunch, grief share, single and parenting, family night dinner, family night programs, boys and girls clubs, junior and senior high, open hearts, floor hockey, make a connection, food bank, Christmas candlelight service, children's choir Christmas, Christmas banquet, a prayer week in January, and a partridge in a pear tree. <laughs> you guys are just absolutely incredible with what you do. I met with the board on Monday night, and I said to the board that I think that most people in Bethel have no idea all the things that are done in Bethel and through Bethel in your community. And that's not a criticism. It just means that there's so many things happening through your church and in your church that it's not known or controlled by any one single individual. There's so much personal initiative, so much good, so much love that's being shared around. It is quite noteworthy. And uh, I was thinking that you really are functioning like a church of a thousand people. You really are. I, I come from a church of 1,800. That's what we average on Sunday mornings. And so, you know, the only difference between a church of 1,800 and, say, 180, and I'm kind of guessing this morning, based on previous weeks, that there's probably about 158 people in the room right now. But the only difference is a zero. If you take a zero off of 1,800, you get 180. And, and I want you to know that what it takes to lead 1,800 or 180 is exactly the same thing. You put as much effort into praying and planning and preparing and thinking and doing for 180 people as you do for 1,800 people. And, you know, the idea of a church of 1,000, last Sunday, um, and, and actually two Sundays ago, talked a little bit about the idea that um, the best is yet to come for Bethel. That when you think about the future, we talked about the fact that um, the best is yet to come. And if we can go back one, Jonathan... Jonathan's trying to help me, so I'm clicking, and I think he's clicking at the same time, and then we are clicking all over the place and moving along. But I want you to see that slide again, because uh, last Sunday I talked about the idea that the best is yet to come. Um, there we go. There it is. The best is yet to come. So that was two weeks ago. Um, now, I don't know if you think a church of a thousand in Barhead would be good. Now, again, like we did last week, you're looking at me, I'm looking at you, you're looking at me, I'm looking at you, you're thinking, Pastor Bob, you're crazy. Like what, a thousand people in a church? Like where would we put all the people in this church? There's no way. How could you get a thousand people in a church? I, you know, in my 40 years of ministry, numbers and money have never been an issue, ever. 
I've always found that if people have a why, they'll always find a how. That if you've got a why for what you're doing, you'll always discover a how. You'll always find a way to make something happen. And uh, just, just the whole beauty of that and, and this church. I don't know if bigger's better. I really don't. Um, but I, I do know this, that when we open our hearts to God and we live out in love, amazing things can happen. Um, things that we don't anticipate. Things perhaps that we could, that we could never imagine. Here's what I think the greatest issue that any church um, anywhere in the world faces. One question, really, one question. And I want to talk about this this morning. But the, the greatest issue that I think faces any church is this. Does the least person in our church feel like the greatest? So does the least person in our church feel like the greatest? So by least, um, it, it could mean the newest person in Bethel. Or maybe the youngest person in Bethel. Or maybe, maybe a person that has um, a disadvantage. Or maybe someone with a disability. But, but whoever would the least be, as long as they felt like they felt like the greatest, then that church, I think, would be doing exactly the most important thing that they could possibly do. Maybe the word least might mean vulnerable. Who might be the most vulnerable person? And do they feel like the greatest in the church? When you do that, you discover um, how to be great. And that's what I want to share with you today. Who's the greatest? That's the title of the message. Who's the greatest? And uh, I'm not sure when the children came in, if you guys got the little sheets that in the upper corner has a picture of the pastor that you can draw. Were those handed out today? No? Okay. I saw the bulletin board out there, and I saw previous pictures, and, and I saw a picture of the speaker on the first Sunday of August. I could tell it was him because he had no hair in the middle. It was just kind of hair on the side, right? So I thought, oh, that's him. That's the guy that was here. Um, and uh, so I was waiting to see what I might look like in the eyes of the artists of this congregation. So maybe next Sunday or the Sunday after. That can't be next Sunday because you're going to see Steve. And, and I'd, I'd be quite interested to see how you draw Steve uh, next Sunday. So I'll be looking for that when I get back. The greatest. Muhammad Ali, the heavyweight champion of the world, he used to call himself the greatest. He also called himself Superman. And there was a time when he was traveling by plane, and the plane that they were on hit some turbulence. And so the captain, as you know, came on the intercom and said, um, we're going through some turbulence, please uh, fasten your seatbelts. And uh, so everybody in the plane started to do that. Everybody except Muhammad Ali. And the stewardess noticed that he hadn't done up his seatbelt. So she came over to him and said, Mr. Ali, would you please do up your seatbelt? The captain has asked us all to put our seatbelts on. And uh, Muhammad Ali said to the stewardess, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And so the stewardess said back to Muhammad Ali, well, Superman don't need no plane. <laughs> do up your seatbelt. <laughs> and so Muhammad Ali did his seatbelt up that day the greatest. Jesus had something really key to say about this, and I want to, in a moment, draw your attention to a portion of scripture that is really confusing. So on a Sunday morning, my second Sunday, I pick what I think is kind of a hard set of verses, and I did that for a couple of reasons. First of all, if we were in a small group, we could sit down and talk about your questions when you read this. Second of all, to recognize the fact that Jesus sometimes said really complex things and they don't at times make sense. And if we're supposed to read the Bible literally, how can we take some portions of the Bible literally? You'll see in a moment what I mean by that. 
And the third thing is, if I can help you, that we read the Bible so that we can follow Jesus. When you're reading the book of Genesis or Leviticus or Exodus or Psalm or Matthew or Mark, we're always reading to find out, how could I learn how to follow Jesus by reading this? So when we go into the passage, if you keep that in context, what I'd like to do today is find out who's the greatest in this room about finding a Bible verse. I'd like to see if we could like, do an old-fashioned contest and maybe see if the boys and girls might beat the moms and dads. Okay, so if you, if you have your Bibles here, if you have your iPhone, your Android, your iPad, whatever you might use, I'd like you to just close it up and put it on your lap, okay? Just close it up, put it on your lap. No cheating, everybody watching around. All right. Koki, could you come and do me a favor? Could you come and stand up here? I need, I don't trust myself to be a judge. So what I'm going to ask Koki to help me with, can you stand up here just so you can get a really good view, everybody? So Koki, what we're going to do is I'm going to ask everybody in a moment um, to look up a, a Bible verse. I'm going to show it on the screen. And when you get the Bible verse and it's open on your phone or your Bible, I want you to stand up right away, okay? And Koki's going to watch for the first person to stand up. So this could be uh, boys and girls against moms and dads, or it could be men against women, or women against men, or it could be new people to Bethel against the veterans of Bethel. I'm not sure how it'll be, but let's find out who's the greatest at finding this verse. All ready? Everybody set? Can you hold up your, your phone or your Bible if you got one, just so I know you're all in the game? Good. Okay, now back on your lap. Have it closed. Put both hands on top of it. <clears throat> and I'm going to go three, two, one, and the theory is the next slide up will be the verse. Okay, so when you, <clears throat> when you see the verse, I'd like you to find it, and as soon as you have it open and ready to read, stand up, okay? All ready? All right, three, two, one. Teresa Crystal, yeah. All right, okay. So, could you read that out loud for us? Please. Thanks, Koki. Yeah, just stand back up and read that out loud. That'd be great. Now, could you do me one more favor, Teresa? I know you're really good at this. Could you? Yeah, could you? Yeah, you got to find the verse again, I know. But while you're looking there, could you read it that way towards everybody so everybody could hear? And this is where we get the, the message subject today. Who is the greatest? A question. Matthew 18. And Jennifer to the rescue there. Thank you, Teresa. Give her a good hand again. Just as you can never give her enough applause. <clears throat> so as you're reading and you have your Bibles open to Matthew 18, you discover that when Jesus is asked this question, what does he do? He takes a little child and he places that child in the midst of his adult disciples. And he says, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And then verse 4 um, in that reading says, Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. 
And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. So this is a totally unexpected answer from Jesus. Maybe you've heard this before, maybe you haven't, but let me just set the stage again about kids. Here at Bethel, kids are really important. When Jesus told this story, they weren't. Children in the culture that Jesus was in were either abandoned or aborted if they weren't welcomed. And they had no say. Even in the Jewish culture, slaves, women, dogs, and children were equal. They were at the bottom of the ladder. They had no rights, no authority, not to speak. They could, children were not even supposed to be seen, let alone heard. But there's this child for some reason in the midst of Jesus. And he takes the child and puts him in the midst of his disciples and says, you see this little child, unless you become like this child, you can't enter into the kingdom of heaven. So this shocks everybody. Because he's got Pharisees, scribes, disciples. There's Matthew uh, and there's... James and John, and they're all listening. And it's one more time where Jesus says something, and his disciples go, okay, he's at it again. He's always saying stuff that doesn't make sense. Like, why would a little child, why should we become like a little child? We spent all our lives growing up, and now he's suggesting we should become like a little child again? Doesn't make any sense. But let me ask you to buckle your seatbelts, because now we get to the real meaty, confusing part of what Jesus says next. Look what he says in verse 6. He points to the child, but his point is extended beyond the child. And he says, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. Now, notice what he goes on to say next. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. That's a pretty intense portion of Scripture, wouldn't you say? The idea of cutting your foot off, cutting your hand off, gouging your eye out, it sounds like ISIS, doesn't it? It sounds like cruelty. But this is what Jesus is actually suggesting. And what on earth is he talking about? Like I said, if we were in a small group, we could sit down and just ask questions and go into far greater detail. But what Jesus is doing here is what he often did with his communication. He was making a point, holding his listeners' attention, and capturing their attention because of the surprise effect. He was using what literary people call hyperbole, which is exaggeration. And he was using exaggeration to make a point. Jesus was very good at this. He used hyperbole so very often. Um, Jesus told a lot of camel jokes. You know that. Jesus was a riot. Like when he, the thing you can't read about in scripture is when he tells a story, you can't see the smiles on the faces of his listeners. And very often us as Westerners, we read something and we think with our head, not our heart. But Jesus was aiming for the heart. So unless you feel it in your heart, you probably have missed something. So, so far today, if you've gotten it in your head, that's good, but it's got to go down to your heart. Jesus, I think his most famous story is when he talked about the idea that it's harder for a rich man to go to heaven than it is for a camel to go through, what did he say? 
And have you heard people talk about the fact, oh, yeah, there was a wall in Jerusalem, a gate, and camels would come along, and they would have to bow down, and they would have to go through on their knees, and they call that the eye of the needle. And so our lives, we're supposed to also humble ourselves and be like that, and, and that way we can get to heaven. Well, the big thing is you miss the smiles on the faces of the people Jesus was speaking to with that camel joke. Because when he said that it's harder for a rich man to go to heaven than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, he wasn't talking about a needle or a door or anything like that. He was making a joke. He was being so ludicrous that everybody in the crowd were going, oh yeah, sure, a camel, eye, a needle, there's no way. But the thing about it was, they all believed that rich people went to heaven, that poor people didn't. That if you were rich, you were blessed. And the richer you were, the more God loved you and blessed you. And so when Jesus said it's harder for a rich man to go to heaven than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, it was absolutely ludicrous. But he got their attention. It was like, well, that's not right. That's not, no, no, that's not. We've, we've heard all our lives that rich people go to heaven and poor people go to hell because they deserve that. That's why they're poor. And Jesus was there to break all the aspects of culture and things that they'd adopted by tradition and folklore. And, and he caught people's attention just like he does here. And he puts a child in their midst. And he says, unless you become like that little child, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. And unless you're willing to act in a way like I'll get with this last verse, then we miss the point of all that God has for our lives. So here's what Jesus leads to. This is his main point. The last verse, verse 10. He says, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my father in heaven. I tell you that their angels always see the face of my Father in heaven. There's a surprising role that guardian angels have in the lives of little ones. And the little one spoken of in the scripture was like the child that was put in their midst. But it's also something beyond that. It's what the verse says about people who become followers of Jesus that are considered on the edge, on the margin, on the fringe. The little ones. Perhaps it's people like the tax collectors that were interested in Jesus, or the prostitutes, or the publicans, or even those who Pharisees call just in general, the sinners. Those were the little ones that Jesus says that God is watching over them. His angels are watching over them. And to treat the least like the greatest is the best evidence of God's love. And that's what he was challenging his disciples with. In a couple of moments, we're going to move to communion. And in the minds of many people, and, and perhaps rightly so, communion is sacred. This table is sacred. Can I suggest to you today, though, that this balloon is equally sacred? That the meaning of this balloon, the idea that this represents the life of a boy or a girl who one week ago hadn't asked Jesus into their life, but this week that boy or girl responded to an invitation on Thursday to say yes. I want Jesus in my life. That makes this balloon as sacred as this communion table. And it makes that little child in the midst that Jesus pointed out just as important as any of his disciples. You see, it was the disciples that said, who's the greatest? And so Jesus shows them that if you want to be the greatest, care for the least. Help the least person feel like they're the greatest. And when you can accomplish that through love, through grace, through teaching, through patience, then amazing things happen. So little ones, they can be like children. Um, 
and, and they are guarded over by angels. Do you know that all of us are guarded over by angels? You asked me the question, Pastor Bob, do you believe in angels? Yes, I believe in angels. Why do I believe in angels? Well, two reasons. First of all, because the Bible talks about angels. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, it says that the angels watch over the heirs of salvation. What it means is that it watches over every person that has come into a knowledge of Jesus Christ as their personal savior. And so that little boy or girl, represented by the balloon, has not only just their family and their church, but now has an angelic realm that watch over them, protect them, guide them, care for them. I don't want to talk a lot about angels today, although it's an important subject, and this is why I don't. Because there's very little about angels in our Bible, just enough to know that they're real, that they work, they exist. I'll tell you a story one day where I met a, a, an angel that changed my life, and uh, that'll be in the future sometime, so you'll have to come back. And it's not my wife, although my wife is an angel, and if you're watching Jocelyn, yes, you are an angel, yes. But she knows the story, and she knows how it radically changed uh, Bob Jones's life. And uh, I, I would imagine that some of you could tell a story at some time where you had an angelic counter. I don't want to camp there only because of this. There's this much in the Bible about angels, and there's this much in the Bible about little ones, or about how to care for people. And so that's the message today, and that's the message for our church. And, and sometimes we can get sidelined by things that are important, but not the most important. And this is the most important. This is why Jesus puts a child in their midst. This is why Jesus makes this comment. Because his disciples are beginning to veer the wrong way. They're beginning to think. They followed Jesus in Matthew 18 for about two years, maybe two and a half. And they're starting to get accustomed to his miracles and his teaching and the things that he does. And they're starting to think about, okay, in the 12 guys that are following Jesus, who's the best? Who's the greatest? And so when they ask the question, they're hoping Jesus will say, one of you guys... And he confounds them because he says, no, it's this little child. And sometimes in our lives, we can be like the disciples and we get sidetracked. And very often, God just wants to gently nudge us back into the center and to be about what's most important in our lives. And when you care for children and when you care for the least of these, the little ones, then you know that you're in the center of what God wants. That when we do what God blesses, that there's a sense of favor. There's a sense of favor. You know, when you reach out and care for other people and create safe places, you can't keep people away from a church. That's why I was saying, like, could a church of a thousand in Barhead be a possibility? Oh, for sure. For sure. It could be bigger than that. Is that important, the numbers? No, because it goes back to one. That each one, each person, you today, you're the most important person in the world to God because he died for you. We're going to come to communion about that. That Jesus came just for you, that he was here for Pam, that he was here for people that might even be here for the first time watching through the internet, that he came to die for Bob in my place. And when we understand that, when we live that out in our lives, it changes everything. So our role, the role that we would have and what we would take away with our lives and what we take away from this message today, um, the idea of guardian angels, their existence, their work in our lives, um, that as we go forward, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, that we need to encourage them to not stumble, to walk tall, to have strength, 
uh, to learn more about Jesus, to become a disciple of Jesus in their lives. And, and to recognize that as we walk into our future, to be builders, to build other people up. This young lady is a young person that I might call one of the least of these. Now, you look at her face, uh, and uh, her name is uh, Elisa, um, and she looks so happy, doesn't she? Um, Elisa, I've known Elisa for quite a number of years, and uh, she was pregnant and gave birth early at 25 weeks to a preemie boy. And for almost nine months, her little boy, Ryden, um, was very ill in the Strollery Hospital. We thought he was going to die a couple of times. And so Elisa went through a huge amount as a parent. I was at the Stollery a number of times, but Elisa was there almost every day, month after month after month. Mums, if you understand, well, you're a mum. You understand what that would take out of you? Ryden actually got better. And today he's over four years old. He's a strong, healthy little guy. Uh, you'd never know he had any problems. And you would think, and this is what I thought as Elisa's pastor, that she would be happy after Ryden came home. But Elisa had experienced such trauma in caring and worrying about her son that she went into a deep depression. And she stopped talking to her friends and to her family. And she'll tell you that she started to eat. That was the way she comforted herself. And she just ate and ate and ate and ate all the wrong things, started to gain weight, felt worse about herself, retreated further, and became darker, felt to a degree suicidal. And Here's a young woman who's a follower of Jesus, who's got a heart for her boy and a mother, and she just couldn't function any longer like that. And in January of this year, 2019, um, God touched her life and began to change her day by day by day. And people came into her life to support her, friends that were there, came to her house, just talked with her. In a sense, Elisa was the least of these, there was a moment where she wasn't going to church, she wasn't contributing, she wasn't volunteering, she wasn't showing up, she wasn't being friendly, she was angry, she was raging. People initially wanted to stay away from her. But the neat thing to me was that beautiful face was always there in Alicia, but she just couldn't express it. And then through care and through other people, she found healing. And to me, she's kind of the face of the least. When you look at her, you think she's a successful, accomplished woman, a mother of three boys. Um, her husband and their family own some major businesses in Alberta, and she's got everything going for her. But at that stage of her life, she didn't. She felt like the least. And I'm not sure if anyone here in the house today and those watching may feel at this moment in your life when you feel like you're the least, like you have nothing to contribute to your family, to your church, even to God, that you feel like there's nothing there, you need to know that here in Bethel, that you're the greatest, that people will come around you, they'll support you, they'll love you, they'll pray with you. We're only as sick as our secrets. And sometimes when you're vulnerable and you share with someone you trust, that beginning point brings healing. Pastor Teresa, our family pastor, is a great person to be able to share with. I'd love to connect with you. We have a coffee, a meet and greet at the end of the service. I would love even just to know that if maybe this week we could sit down and talk and just share. Because truly, here at Bethel, the idea is that people are builders. And I want to close with this poem before we go to communion because I think it sums up exactly um, an idea. of what, So what do you do with this message? How can you help the least? 
There's a choice that all of us make every day with our families, with our friends, where we go to work and school. It's a poem called The Builder. It goes like this. I saw them tearing a building down, a team of men in my hometown. With a heave and a hoe and a yes, yes, yell, they swung a beam and a sidewall fell. And I said to the foreman, are those men skilled like the ones you'd use if you had to build? And he laughed and he said, oh, no, indeed. The most common labor is all I need. For I can destroy in a day or two what it takes a builder 10 years to do. So I thought to myself as I went on my way, which one of these roles am I willing to play? Am I one who is tearing down as carelessly and I make my way around? Or am I one who builds with care? in order to better the world because I was there. I just want to encourage you today, be a builder. Build into the lives of others. Maybe in the foyer, build into the life of someone that might be a stranger to you, that even a simple walk across the room to say hello might make all the difference for them. To choose that in Bethel that we would be builders, and that we would ensure that the least in our midst would feel like the greatest, that they would feel fully present, fully fledged, fully a part of everything that occurs. I'm going to invite our servers for communion, if they would come please to the front, because um, Jesus and his cross makes everybody on a level playing field. Dwayne and his team are going to come and join me as well. They're going to lead us in a song. Our servers are going to come and in a moment, pass out these emblems that are here at the front. And they're simply emblems. They're a reminder to us that with Jesus, all of us, regardless of our status, however long we followed him on a day like this, it's a wonderful time to recalibrate our lives and just say, Jesus, it's all about you. So uh, Ra uh, Randy is going to um, begin passing out the emblems to uh, our servers. And the people at the front here have all been asked uh, to serve today. Uh, they're leaders in Bethel. And at the end of the service, they're also going to be here to pray for you. They have had prayer before. They know that God answers prayer, and they would like to pray with you. And I'll give you some directions on that in just a couple of moments. But as you receive those trays, please just take one of the crackers or one of the juices. Please hold on to them and then we'll have communion together. They're simply symbols. They represent what Jesus asks us to do. On the night before he was crucified, he met with his disciples. They broke bread. He said, this is my body given for you. They passed around a cup, and when they drank it, he said, this is my blood shed for you. And so today, it's an invitation to say this, that he's the greatest, that Jesus is everything, that he's our savior. It's not what we do or how good we are, but how good he is, and that we lean into that and trust that. And this is a way to simply say to Jesus, I believe that. I want you to know, Jesus, on August 18, 2019, I, I affirm to you my faith in you and say, I trust you for my salvation. For everyone here this morning or watching through the internet, if you haven't come to a place where you've asked Jesus into your life and trusted him as your savior, we're just like the boys and the girls represented by these balloons this week said yes to Jesus, you could do that right now. To simply say yes to him and ask him into your life as your God and as your Savior. You can do that right where you're sitting.
And as we have communion in just a moment, um, we'd love to know that you did that. On the uh, monitor, you'll see that number again. And I would love to know that this was a day of your choice, wherever you're watching. And you could simply text again to 780-707-5569, the simple word, follow, follow. And to, that would indicate to me that you've made a choice today. And I will be back in touch with you and connect. And I'll start praying for you. And others in this church will do that very same thing. And that will be a wonderful thing.